0: Good morning, Church. It's good to see you all here. Wow, what a gang! It really has, as Daniel says, it's been an amazing summer. Uh, I've been here almost every Sunday, and it's just been amazing the uh, the attendance that we've had during the summer. I think we were all anticipating because maybe things have opened up now that people would be away a lot more than they are, and so we're just delighted. And not only that. My, when you get together, you just kind of let it all out as we worship together. And I just, I just think it was wonderful today for us just to be able to worship God. Do you know that uh, some theologians about 400 years ago got together and they decided they would work through a number of key questions that are kind of pertinent for at that time and of course they're still pertinent for today. And one of the questions they ask is, what is the main purpose for man on earth? What's the main thing that God created us to do? And they come up with this phrase. They said, the chief end, now that means the main purpose for man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, most of us, that's kind of foreign. And uh, in our culture today, I would say the chief goal of man is to discover the good life and live it to the fullest. Wouldn't that be kind of characterizing what most of us are after? Certainly, those around who do not acknowledge God. So to have as our main purpose to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why on a Sunday morning it's not the only time we glorify God but it is an opportunity for us to glorify Him with our mouths together and enjoy Him forever. But I've been reflecting on this. In order to glorify God you've got to get to know God. And the problem that I have, I don't know about you, is I got a mind that's like a sieve. It leaks. And I need to be reminded over and over and over and over and over and over again, this wonderful God we have. So I have appreciated very much the series that we've had this summer, where we have been going through knowing God by name. I think that's been one of the most important series likely, that we've dealt with this past year. Just knowing God by name. I actually have a little book at home that's called The Names of God. It's an older book. And I've actually been following it as we've been going through. And of course, Pastor Rusty's been taking a lot of the, a lot of the sermons, but Pastor uh, Daniel has been doing a lot too. And I, I've been following along the different names they have during the week. And it's been precious. It's been great. I feel like I'm enjoying my God more. For the last three sessions, and today's our final session, we're actually approaching knowing the names of God or reviewing the names of God as they relate to our triune God. And Daniel explained that in his sermon uh, two weeks ago. The fact that we believe in a God who is one, but in three persons. Something that's very difficult for us to explain. As a matter of fact, it is impossible for us to fully grasp, but that's what the Word of God teaches. And we've been dealing with a name for each of the persons of God in these last few studies we've had together. And I have the privilege to deal with one that relates to God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And the word that we're using is actually a word that is a Greek word. And I want to explain to you why I'm still going to call it a Greek word as we go through. Or or keep it as the Greek word. It's the word paraclete. Paraclete. Now that is actually from... About, there's about six different instances in the New Testament, which, of course, was written in Greek, where that word is used in Greek as a noun. Now, there's sometimes when it's used as a verb where it's used as a noun. And one time, it's used for Jesus. And that's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. But for the most part, this term has been used in relation to the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. And we're going to plunge in a little bit and just try to find out a little bit more about this. Now, one of the things that you've already noticed when we looked at the text, which we're going to get to in a moment, and the text that we had up on the uh, the screen and actually that Daniel read is from the New International Version. But I want to tell you, Why I want to take some time to break down this Greek word for you is because out of maybe six to eight translations that I checked this week, there are actually four different terms that are used in English. And uh, so it's a bit of a challenge to know exactly what's the best English term to use to translate it. So if you'd go to the next slide, uh, there the basic definition of this word paraclete is someone who's called to be alongside. Someone who comes alongside us. Now that's an interesting, it's very vivid, isn't it? It's something that we can visualize. But where the challenge is, why is he there? He comes alongside, but what's he there to do? So these poor translators, when they're taking the Greek and they're putting it over into English, they can't always say, every time Periclete comes up, someone called to be alongside. So they make a decision as to what would be an appropriate word to put in there. So the next slide will show us these four different ones. Now actually, I have another translation, some of you may have it, it's called the Amplified Bible. And the unique thing about the Amplified Bible is every key word in a verse, they actually in parentheses will give you other words that may also be kind of synonyms that would fit. And I think when it came to this one, there were actually six or eight of them that the Amplified put in parentheses. That gives you a clue that this is a bit of a challenge to know how this should be appropriately translated. But look at those four. Advocate, which by the way the NIV uses. Comforter, counselor, helper so you can see what they're trying to do they're trying to say how can we explain in one word what this definition is which is of several words in english paraclete the holy spirit is the paraclete so what would that primarily mean well The next thing you go to if it's kind of broad like that is you go to the text itself that surrounds this word and try to find out what it means from the context the prime passage is the one that we have just read so that's why we're going to spend a little bit of time going through that. But before we do that, I want to make one statement. I think it's important because when it comes to the whole question of the Holy Spirit, there's one fundamental question that pops out because there is a disagreement uh, throughout the Christendom or Christendom about the Holy Spirit. There are some groups and one of those groups is kind of well-known as the Jehovah's Witnesses, who basically would say that the Holy Spirit is actually not a person. But rather, the Holy Spirit is the force of God. After all, the word spirit is actually the word in Greek for wind. And so they say, it's the wind of God, it's the spirit of God. The Bible talks about the arm of God. The Bible talks about the the eyes of God or, or different things like that. And so that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's just a force. I don't want to take a whole lot of time to go through, but if you actually do a study of the Holy Spirit, you find out that that is not correct. There are many passages that talk about the Holy Spirit and attribute personal characteristics he is a person and uh, and there are for example it says that he has intelligence that he has feelings we can actually grieve the Holy Spirit he has a will these are various personal qualities that make it clear that when we talk about the Holy Spirit we're talking about a person one of the three persons of our god one in nature three in persons but what does this word which seems to be a key word for the holy spirit paraclete what does it really mean well let's go to john chapter 14 15 to 31 if we'll go to the next one and this doesn't have all of the verses there but if you have your bible and you want to follow along We have two slides, um, and I'm not going to read it through again, but I'm going to, and you can see where I've underlined in the text, I just want to mention a few things that I think will help us to understand the significance of this word that Jesus says to his disciples when he's referring to the Holy Spirit. So, let's look at a couple of things. Well, it starts off by saying, notice what it says at the very beginning, and it's in verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you, what? Another advocate. Now there, I'm going to put the word, the Greek word in there again. Uh, Paraclete. Okay? He's going to give you another paraclete. Well, what does that mean? When you have another there, it means that you've already had one and he's going to give another. So who is he referring to? Jesus is referring to himself. He says, This is what he's saying to his disciples. This is shortly before. He was to go to the cross and die, be raised again on the third day, and then shortly thereafter ascend into heaven. So Jesus knows that his time on earth is actually rather short now and that some important events are going to happen, one right after the other. And so he says to his disciples, he prepares them, he gets them ready. And he says, I'm going to send you, I'm going to ask and the Father will send you. Another paraclete. That means that Jesus was acting like a paraclete to them while he was on earth. So what was he doing with them? He was coming alongside. What was he doing by coming alongside? What does it mean? He spent time with them. And if you, you just have to go through the life of Jesus, as explained in the four Gospels, to begin to realize what what he was doing with his disciples. Now, he helped a lot of other people as well, but what was he doing in relation to his disciples? He was teaching them. He was helping them to understand the Word of God. Not only uh, what the Word of God said, but how do you apply it? They likely sat there as he went through all of those challenges that he was having with the Pharisees, trying to understand what Jesus was saying about the Old Testament, because the Pharisees had a certain way of looking at it, and that was the way they interpreted their lives in relation to the Word of God. And he would be always challenging them, because they were putting things in boxes so that they could control the Word of God. And he was challenging them to think outside that box because that was the intention of the Word of God. So they were listening to him. I'm sure there were times in which he would sit down with them at the end of the day. He would answer questions, but he would likely also correct them. He would always be encouraging them. And not only that, he provided for them. He would give them food. He would care for them. He would look after them. When he saw them discouraged, no doubt he would spend time with them. All those things he was doing as he came alongside them. Now Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you're going to live through a transition. I'm going to go. But the father's going to send another paraclete, another one to come alongside you. And for us, we weren't there when Jesus was on earth. But he says you experience that second paraclete. Rusty and I were talking about this a few days before. Rusty made a very interesting point. There is a tendency for us to think, oh, wow, I wish I could have been there when the 12 disciples were there just to walk with Jesus. Wouldn't that be something? Just to walk with... Wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus lived in Stonewall For another couple of years? Just came here and lived here for a couple of years? Jesus looked at his disciples and said, you know, I got to go. I got to go. If I can't go, then he can't come. But I am going to go, and he's going to come. But don't you worry. He's going to carry on. And not only that, you know what he says? He's going to be with you forever. I was just temporary. He's going to be with you forever. He's going to carry on exactly what Jesus did with his disciples. So we can look at what it means to have the Holy Spirit as a paraclete by looking to Jesus in the life of Jesus. That's why it's so important for us to study the Gospels and to look clearly at who. Jesus is well, let's go on because he says some things about what this what the spirit is really like as a paraclete verse 17 he says the spirit of truth The spirit of truth. He is the one who will present the truth. He is the one who guides you in the truth he is the one who helps you in the truth. As a matter of fact, in, in John chapter 15, just in the same speech that, ju- that Jesus gives, but further on, he says that he will testify to the truth. So the work of your conscience is submitted to the truths of the Bible. As you hear the word of God, it penetrates your heart and it guides your conscience and the spirit will speak to you. In John chapter 16, 3 to 11, Jesus says he will guide you into the truth. So it's the spirit who convicts us and it's the spirit who convinces us. Have you ever thought of this? Some of us would rather say, you know what, I'd rather the spirit didn't convict me. It makes me feel bad. Bugs me. It's kind of like pain. Those of you that are living with permanent pain, it's not fun. It's not fun. And I'm sure there are times in which you say, I'd rather not have pain. Why did God allow pain? You know what? If we never had pain, we'd be in serious trouble right? Those of you that are in the medical field understand that clearly. In some ways, it feels like a curse, but in many ways, it's a real blessing. God has created the possibility of pain so that I don't burn my hands, I don't cut myself uh, without even realizing what's going on. There's, There's value in pain just in that way. If we did not have the Spirit of God reminding us Convicting us, giving us conviction, we would be lost. Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm not going to leave you isolated on your own. The Spirit of God will be always beside you, leading you, guiding you. You turn to the next slide. Let's read uh, just the second part of this. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, that there's again the paraclete, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things. He'll remind you of everything that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give it to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And don't be afraid. And I feel like those last uh, challenges or commands that he gives to his disciples are based on the fact, because you have this other paraclete, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be troubled. You can have peace in your heart. He will be with you forever. As a matter of fact, he made this phrase. He says, he'll not only be with you, he will be in you. And that is the case. Ever since the day of Pentecost, that's been the experience of followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit in us. So, after going through this passage, and I've done very briefly gone through this passage, I personally, for whatever it's worth, which is not much, uh, out of those four words, I would say the word that likely conveys the best, now you're not gonna like this, it's the word helper. Why? Because counselor, I don't know, our, technology, our, our terminology today of counselor would limit a little bit too much of what it means to come alongside. I feel the same for you, advocate, oh my goodness. You mean I'm in a court case? Actually, that word uh, advocate that a lot of people would refer to, whenever paraclete was used in in the Greek language, uh, it was not so much an official advocate in a court, but rather was a friend who came along somebody who had to go into the court and was just there to support them. I like to call it the helper. So that's why I've actually defined it. The Holy Spirit is our divine helper. Now, I realize when you use the word help, oh, that's so broad. It can mean so many different things. So I think I need to define it. I'm going to define it by actually giving you an illustration. And it's of somebody who's in our church here, I don't want to pick on him. Uh, in a, and by the way, it's in a good sense, so I'm not picking on him. And uh, I don't think he's here this morning. Randy Porter. Many of you know Randy. I've known Randy since since I actually started out here, 1972, as a single young guy, and I got to know Randy. Randy and I've been through a lot of different things together. Randy and I actually worked, if you can believe it, in construction together. Now you'd never, if you look at the work of my construction and renovation, you would never believe that I would be surrounded by a guy like him who's such an expert in it and still see my shabby work. Uh, That's because I wasn't with him long enough. But I used to work with Randy and we used to spend lots of time together. We used to actually spend some time actually reading the word and praying together before we'd work and and I've had a lot of wonderful experiences with him. But I wanna use this illustration, okay. When uh, Karen and I went to France, and we went in 1986, every four years we'd come back for what we used to call furlough, that's the old term, home ministry assignment. And we made the decision that when we came back, because we worked with a team in France, and those team members would kind of cover for our ministry while we were at home, we would come back for a whole school year. And that's why I got to know some of you uh, over the years, because we would come back and be back in the church here for a whole year. God supplied housing every time for us in Stonewall. Sometimes it looked like it wasn't gonna happen and God brought it together, and we did. And when I was back at times, I would, when I was back, I would speak in churches and I'd be involved in some ministry here, but I would have some extra time. And so I worked with Randy. And so, and I was his helper. Now, what did that mean? I was his gopher. I was his third hand. Howard, could you help me put this piece of plywood up? And I loved it because I got to see Randy at work doing different kinds of things, came to respect the fact that he was experienced and an expert in construction and renovation. Appreciated it very highly. I helped him. Is that what the Holy Spirit is to us? It's kind of like a genie in a bottle. Just rub it. Out comes the genie. Whatever you want, I will do. I'm in charge. He does what I tell him to do. That's one definition of a helper. I'm back, finished in France. 2017, we come back to our house. We've been doing some renovation. We're looking at maybe construction of a house to, and then move out and sell the one that we're in, something we're kind of working on things. If I call up Randy now and say, Randy, I want you to help me. I want you to build me a house. That's a different kind of a helper, isn't it? I just give him the project. And I say, Randy, you're helping me. But boy, you better not just be a gopher. You better not be just a third hand or it's not going to look really good. And I think Randy would walk away on the first day saying, sorry, I don't think I can be a part of this. After all, I do have a reputation. And uh, it's not going to look really good if I'm in charge. But again, that's the definition of a helper. Randy's helping me, but what's the difference? I have asked him to take charge. And I think that's the type of helper that our Holy Spirit is. He comes alongside us because we need him. We need him for everything, every day. I realize how ugly my heart can often be, and I need him to correct me. I need him to instruct me every day. I need him to strengthen me every day, because I may think I can live this Christian life. After all, I've known the Lord for 50 years. It's not enough. I need him in charge of my life. But he's my helper my divine helper. And I think that's the way Jesus operated with his disciples, right? Jesus wasn't just there saying, okay, guys, you're in charge, and I'm just going to kind of walk along. You need some food? Poof, I'll get it. Uh, you need some help? You need encouragement? Listen, I'll sit down and just, you know, we'll have a little talk. No, it was clear. Jesus was the rabbi. He was the one is in charge but he was walking alongside of them because he cared for them and he wanted the best in their lives that's the holy spirit he's our divine helper so how should we relate to him Well, I'd like us to move to one other passage, and with this I will close. Galatians chapter 5. I find this to be such a good chapter on relation to the Holy Spirit that I actually go back to it time and time again. Galatians chapter 5, 16 to 26. I'm just going to... uh, Yeah, 16 to 26. There's two slides up here. I'm just going to read it if you want to follow along with me. And then I'm just gonna underline a couple of things that are important. So this is what Paul says to the churches in Galatia. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are under the law. The acts of the flesh, well, they're obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Can we flip back to the first slide? Flip back to that one. Great. Notice what I've underlined. Here are some things that he says we can do in relation to the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk in accordance with the Spirit. Walk In submission to the Spirit, allow yourself to be empowered, directed, guided by the Spirit. It's a conscious decision, a matter of the will. I always try to encourage myself, to remind myself, to say that every morning. Spirit, you live in me, I'm yours. Guide me. Show me what I should do. I need your empowering today. Number two, we are to be led by the Spirit. Allow him to lead. Allow him to follow Uh, uh, so that we follow. Now, in order to be led by somebody, you have to listen to somebody. You have to be in tune with him. I encourage you to make that a priority. That your heart is open so that he can lead you. Next. It says there in verse 25, we live by the Spirit. And again, that I think is asking and submitting to him so that he can empower us, give us wisdom, give us direction. And then I like this one, verse 25. Keep in step with the Spirit. You know what that reminds me of? When I was a kid on the farm in Saskatchewan. Uh, I won't go any further than that. That sounds like there's a football game coming up, and I better not talk. Uh, Anyway, but I, you know, some people may say I've been cursed, but I was born and raised on a farm in Saskatchewan. And uh, we used to get a lot of snow, I know you did in Manitoba, too. And when I was a kid, I used to help my father with the farm. And I was just a little boy, and I, you know, I wasn't very tall at that point. And when I would go out to help my dad in the chores, I remember that I would step in his footsteps. It made it so much easier. In fact, it was almost impossible for me at my age to make it anywhere out there doing the chores, unless I was walking in his steps. And I feel that that's kind of what's saying here, keep in step with the Spirit. And again, it's just another vivid illustration of what it means to allow the Holy Spirit, who is beside us, to be the one in charge of our lives. And we're following after him. We follow his working. We pay attention to the way he's working. We pay attention to his leading. And we follow in step with him. God the Spirit is your divine helper. He's present and he's willing to guide you and provide you with all the help you need to live this life to the fullest. The one that God intends for you. But you must recognize his presence in your life. His eternal presence in your life. And his intention to be your master. Not your genie. You must be ready to submit to his help. To entrust your lives into his hands. That is what it means to recognize Jesus. As your Lord, your Savior, your Master. In fact, in Scripture it says of the Holy Spirit that it's the Spirit of Christ. And I think what it means is they walk in harmony together. So if you're submitting to our Lord, Jesus Christ, you are submitting to the Holy Spirit. If you have not done that yet, I challenge you to do it now. Just open up your heart, acknowledge your need for God, ask Him to enter into your life and take over as your divine helper. He is waiting and ready to respond. But if you've already done this in the past, but you realize that you have allowed other things to move along and move you away from the type of help that God the Spirit wants to give you today, it's never too late. Just acknowledge your waywardness, ask God for forgiveness, and resubmit your life to the Spirit of God right now. Now, if you'd like someone from our church to pray with you about maybe a situation that God may be pointing out to you in relation to this, there will be somebody in a room at the back there we call our fireside room. It's a prayer room. And right after the service, there'll be a couple there who will be willing to pray with you over matters relating to this. But I'd like to close by giving you these questions to ponder. Do you have the Spirit of God living in you today? The Word of God says that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you believe in Jesus, you've responded in repentance and believe in Him as Lord and Savior you have received the Holy Spirit. It comes as part of that decision. But if you haven't, I encourage you to make that decision. Do you listen for his guidance and leading in your life? Do you set aside time in your, whatever it is, could be just a few seconds to say, I want to, I want to tune my ear to hearing your guidance today. Do you seek his help to empower you to live a life pleasing to God? By the way, you won't live a life pleasing to God unless he is empowering you to do it. And then do you open your heart to him so that he can comfort, encourage, and counsel you today? I know that there are some people today, and it may be the case in this particular room, Who, because of experiences that you are having right now, maybe some very difficult, difficult experiences. You're at wit's end. Maybe you're really disappointed because you expected something, and it didn't happen. I want to encourage you to open up your heart to the one who is standing beside you. He wants to help you. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for the Holy Spirit. Oh my, how wonderful it is to know that we have the Spirit of God himself living in us. We are so privileged. Oh God, I just want to ask that you would uh, just move in our hearts today Lord, for those that may be discouraged or may be feeling very much alone, as though you've abandoned them, I pray that by your spirit you would speak to their hearts. May the truths that we've looked at this morning penetrate their cold heart. Lord, if there are some that are struggling, would you minister to them and meet them where they are? Above everything, Lord, we do want to praise you. That you're not only our God, but you have chosen to walk beside us forever by your spirit. Help us to live in that reality this week, I pray. Amen.